real, as we have seen here. I was talking about cargo cults, you know, in the meantime, what a cargo cult is. Cargo cult is imitating something which you don't understand. The most convincing example for cargo cult is here in the ground, about three meters under this pyramid. The pyramid is in Palenque, Palenque is Mexico, Mexico, Yucatan. In 1949, this was all covered with trees, bushes, and so on. You see here the next pyramid, which is still not discovered. Then they found up here, a few holes in the ground. Well, that was curious. A big platform was cut out here at this place and inside they saw the beginning of a stairway. Only the beginning, the first step, because all the rest was full with large stones. It took three years to bring these stones out here. They finally ended three meters below the pyramid in the ground and they stand before a a door which had the shape of a triangle. Brutally, this door was opened. Now they realized again the shape of a room, but they could not enter the room at that time because the room was completely covered with stalagmites. Stalagmites? Yes, okay. All these stalagmites were cut off. Now they stand on the, on the ground. There was a large, big stone. Last, this piece is three meter 80. It's bigger than the screen. Three meter 80. 2 meter 20, its weight is 10 ton. It's one block. And here, chiseled on the block, an incredible representation. <coughs> this is an open mouse. It's the mouse of the underground monster. This monster is called Xialba. So this high priest is falling into the underground. But he added. As everyone can clearly see here, we have the cross of life, which means death and life are assembled together. We are a very funny society, <laughs> really. Somebody comes and explains it, that this is the cross of life. Everybody says, oh yeah, of course we see it, it's the cross of life. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, something like cross of life does not exist. It's nothing else than a whole of phrase. It's an invention which comes out of the mouth of someone and the rest of the world is copying it and brings it in the textbook. And in the universities, our poor students have to learn it. <laughs> Have you ever uh, had a beer with the cross of life? Of course, you could uh, mix the cross of life somehow with Christianity. But this has nothing to do with Christianity. It's a completely different age, completely different culture. The next professor was, by the way, an American, Alden Mason. He said, no. This here in the back, which I just described before, it looks like an exhaust or fiery flame or whatever. This is nothing else than the stylized hairs of the beard of the weather god. <laughs> this here, we clearly can see, is uh, the tail of the rattle. Fantastic. Rat, the rat. Rattlesnake. Rattlesnake. Oh, tail, okay, whatever. <laughs> so, the past... Uh, Ten years, every tourist who goes down there, and also it's in the, in the modern textbook, is explained that this is Pakal. You have to know the city here is called Palenque. And uh, the family who ruled Palenque was the family of Pakal. This is true. And probably there is no doubt this is Pakal. So it was always suggested that Pakal is on his way to Xialba, and Xialga means the underworld. In the newest archaeological book of Professor Dr. Linda Sheely. She's an American. She died a few months ago. A brilliant lady, by the way. 
she suggested, well, maybe this could be seen as the Milky Way and this the firmament. So Pakal is in reality not on the way to the underworld, but is on the way to the Milky Way. Maybe situation changes after a few years. You see a writing all around. These are called glyphs, Maya glyphs. Some of these glyphs are known. For example, we know exactly the Maya calendar. The oldest date which you found here, translated into our modern calendar, gives the, 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 the date for, uh, August 14, 3114 BC. At that time, the family Pakal was not even existing. The Mayas did not exist. August 14, 3114 in our calendar dates. So many things are seem still controversial. Okay, even in this Pakal, I agree maybe, this Pakal, good. But what is he doing in this silly position? <laughs> now, I have been accused, and still am accused, that it is not correct to show to the public this plate in this form, you see it, you know, in this enlarged form. Because in fact, the entry, when you come down the stair, is from this side. So it has been said, we should turn this uh, uh, tombstone on the other side, which would give a complete different opinion. Looks like this now. Now, as soon as I see this, I, of course, have my inspirations. Because I travel every year still about 100,000 kilometers in flight. And when I see something like this, I said to myself, now, come on. I saw this before, 20,000 kilometers away, far away. Yeah, doesn't matter if you are in India or in Java or whatever. You always will find the architectural form, the temple form of the stupa. You will just see a stupa, has to train, okay, I try it. Okay, this is a stupa here. This temple here is the Borobudur in middle Java. It's composited of over 144 stupas. <coughs> in Buddhism, the stupa has different meanings, but we do not need Buddhism because this form, the architectural shape, is older than Buddhism. It dates back to the predecessors of the Buddhism, which were the Jainas, the religion of the China. And among the Jaina, the stupa had only one meaning. The stupa was a chariot, of, a, a chariot to the gods. They believed when a priest wanted to reach the world of the gods, he had to make special washings, cleanings. He had to put special clothes on, and then he had to climb into this stupa. In fact, in every stupa, somebody is sitting. Now, because this is a Buddhist, Buddhistic temple, you see young Buddha in here. And what is he doing here? With his elbows and his hands, he's manipulating some control. Because the belief was, once he is in the stupa, and he wants to reach the world of the gods, he has to do special symbolic movements with his hands. Now, let's go back to Mexico, where we just were before. If you look at this this way, here you have the tower, of the stupa. You have the shape like the bell of the stupa. And here the man sits with his elbows and uses his hands to manipulate some controls. Probably it was misunderstanding technology. That's all what it was in Mexico and in Asia. 
Because all over the world, we had the same examples. It's nothing more than cargo cult. But we humans, clever, intelligent, we made out religious of it. Thank you, God. Fantastic. An example which, of course, is Kamanok Shefaham, an example which, of course, is worldwide, and here I really can bring you news, is the Great Pyramid. According to Egyptologists, there are no secrets. They hate secrets. <laughs> the pyramid is very simple. It was constructed 2500 BC by a, a pharaoh, a king of the name of Cheops. And he had 100,000 slaves or free men who helped him. The building was constructed within 20, 20 years. In the building itself, there are only two rooms. One room is called the king's chamber and the lower room is called the queen's chamber. That's all, and of course the, two, the corridors which led to the two rooms. That's all which you have to know in archaeology about the Great Pyramid. There are no mysteries, whatever. But we in our Western world, with our Western education, we are never told, nobody tells us, what the old Arabian historians say about the construction of the pyramid. And with old Arabians, I do not mean a grandfather of today. I mean the people who have been writing down thousand years more in the past. Brilliant men. What is the outcome of their books? They write, it all took place before the great flood. Man, mankind at that, at that time was so primitive that they were still eating and drinking with the animals at the same place. But then the skies opened and many little barges, ships, have come down to earth. You remember in old India it was called the Vimanas. Ezekiel describes one of it. Now we are in Egypt. The barges, the, the ships of the gods, came down. Out of the ships, the teachers from heaven descended. In the beginning they installed the first school in the land of Nile. Then they used force to force these primitive beings into the schools. After some months or weeks, we don't know, they realized that some of these primitives were not primitive. There were quite, quite intelligent ones among them. And the most intelligent one they called Saurit, the Arabian form, Saurit. And then the historians say clearly, Saurit is the same which the Hebrew community calls Enoch. Be careful now. According to Arabian tradition, this happened before the Great Flood. They say Saurit, who was the most intelligent one, is the same which the Hebrew community called Enoch. So let's go to the Hebrew history, switch to the Hebrew history, before the Great Flood, which is again the Old Testament, the Bible. Before the Great Flood, you have ten prophets or ten patriarchs. One of them had the name Enoch. And according to the Bible, Enoch is the first man who disappears from this planet in a fiery chariot. So here I have a link again. Now I stay with the name of Saurit, but you always have in mind Saurit and Enoch, the same figure. So Saurit was the most intelligent one, and they learned him how to write. After he could write, they dictated him 300 books. By the way, in the story of Enoch, you read a similar story. But now I stay with the Arab tradition. They <coughs> dictated him 300 books. While he was writing, 
One of the teachers from heaven appeared and said, a terrible water catastrophe would destroy the surface of the earth. So Reed heard this, and he said, well, in that case, it was all for nothing what they teach him. All his books would disappear, and mankind, after the great flood, must begin again from the beginning. So they, they had nothing to learn from their time. And he kindly asked the teacher for heaven to construct a gigantic building. In this building, he would make different small rooms. And in these rooms, he would put all his books, so that after the water, they should not restart again. And he would make this whole building waterproof by laying stone plates all over. This is true, you still have some of these plates down here. It was all covered at once with these big stone plates, so, so clear, so, so nearly, that you cannot even put a razor blade a plate between it. So it was waterproof. That's Arabian history. Our Western science, scientists, our Egyptologists, they think this is all nonsense. There are no little rooms uh, with, with books in there. There are no mystery. This is all just fairy tales of the Arabs. Who is correct? When you as a tourist climb into the Great Pyramid today, you have to climb into this hole. Why not appear? This looks rather like an entry. In the year 823 AD, this was still covered with stone plates. Then the ruler of Egypt, his name was Caliph al-Mamun, he knew that there are treasures inside, and he wanted to have the treasures. Now because it was all covered with stone plates, there was no entry to see. And he gave the order just to dig this hole inside the pyramid. What happened? So if today, as a tourist, you climb in here, you in the beginning you really have the impression this is not the pyramid, this is not the building, I'm climbing into a, into a, a, a rock. Into a rock. You see this here. But then after a few meters, you enter into the first corridor where you have to climb up. Now, you yourself, you have to make yourself very small. Down here, it's very narrow. You climb up here, after more or less 10 meters, you arrive into the great gallery. And here the mysteries begin. They also begin for the scientists, because no one understands why these constructors of this building made first this low, narrow corridor, so low that you really have to, to climb in in a terrible way, and it's, it's so low that you cannot even put a, a sarcophagi inside. And then, of a sudden, you have a 10-meter-high gallery. Why that? Nobody understands. Here, where it's dark, there is the entry to the so-called King's Chamber, and 23 meters below is the Queen's Chamber, a little smaller. And in the south wall of the Queen's Chamber, there is a little hole. It's rectangular. Some tourists have lights with them, they look inside, and you see it's a shaft. The shaft is about two meters horizontal, so flat. And after two meters, you realize at the end it's going upside in the pyramid. In the textbooks of archaeology, you read that this shaft is a blind shaft. It's only about eight meters long, and then it has a dead end. It doesn't continue. It's made symbolically, they say, so that the soul of the pharaoh could disappear after he's dead to the gods up there, or Osiris, Isis, and so on.
One of my friends, a German engineer, he was an unbeliever and he constructed with his own hands a small robot. Now this robot is not bigger than a bottle of wine. It's a small machine. Down here you have rubber, like a, a little tank, so that you have force to climb inside up the pyramid. The upper side here, there is a, a hydro, yeah, hydraulics, thank you for your help. You can put this part up so that it gives you force on the ceiling also. Two special halogen lamps have been constructed, a special video camera, and down there is a laser beamer. With this laser beamer, you can measure the distance to the next wall. First, it took many months before Rudolf Kantenbrink received the permission to move with, with his robot into this shaft. Finally, the Egyptologist said, oh, come on, let him do, because the shaft is anyhow just eight meter long, and then it's a dead end, so what for? Okay, move in with your stupid robot. <laughs> and something incredible happened. Bring this build. While you see these pictures, which, by the way, are exclusive, you have to be absolutely aware that this shaft was constructed at the same time with the pyramid. It was not possible the other way around. You cannot finish the pyramid, and now a priest arrives and says, hey, I need a shaft now. <laughs> but with 20 centimeters in diameter, 20 centimeters, not even a Lilliput man could go in and chisel it. <laughs> so the shaft was constructed at the same time with the pyramid. As higher the pyramid went, as higher the shaft went. That means the ceiling was not here during the construction. There was daylight inside. So nothing what you see is coincidence. They, want, <coughs> they wanted to have it the way it is. The robot passed different forms of stone, granite, granite, diorite, sandstone. Of a sudden, the whole shaft was covered with small, small little stones, including the ceiling. You will see it later. The robot passed doorways. And down in the Queen's Chamber, there was a small monitor, and seven Egyptologists were sitting before. Their faces became longer and longer and longer. They, were all, belie they all believed, well, after eight meters, this is over. But the robot went higher and higher. It is a degree of the angle of 40.1 degree. Went higher and higher. 20 meters, 40 meters, 30 meters. Uh, 40, 30, 50 meters, then 60 meters, and the robot reached the point 64 meters, and the door appeared. This door has two metallic clamps. One of them, seen from your side, the left one, is broken down. So the robot was looking for this broken piece. Should be down here. But it was not there, it was found later on the right side and it is definitely a piece of metal. What do we do now? We were always so sure there are no secrets, there are no little rooms in it. So what now? There was no metal in time of Pharaoh Cheops, 5,000 years ago. This here is alabaster. Until today we do not know what this really is. I mean, should you pull it out, press it in, should you turn it? Or is this maybe just the opposite of something which from the other side looks completely different? 
If you imagine the shape of the pyramid, the point where we are now here, you still have 23 meters to the outside wall. Enough room for, for rooms. The door itself doesn't lay on the ground. You will see the laser beam going under the door. On the right side, a small triangle is missing and black dust is coming out there, which is an indication that there must be something behind it. Otherwise, nothing can come out. And usually it is normal when you make a door, there is something behind the door. <laughs> but not in Egyptology. It is nearly six years since this sensational discovery was made. Maybe read something in the newspapers or a few things in television. So one should believe that after six years, finally, they have opened the door. What is the scientific curiosity? But nothing happens. At least not in public. I have very good information down to Egypt and to people who work here, and we know something is going on. But the public is not informed. Can somebody explain me why? Who is afraid of what's behind the door? We have the technology to make a landing on the moon and you can watch the landing on the moon on your TV screen at home. We have the technology exactly to do the same thing here. While the door is open, step by step, you can see it at your TV at home. But somebody is preventing this. And obviously they do not understand that they lose their whole credibility. Because soon, maybe in a few months or so, if they come and show us on TV the open door now, and they tell us, well, as we expected, there was nothing behind it. We don't believe it anymore. It's over, the credibility. They have to do it in public. Otherwise, it's a censorship. We all are old enough and intelligent enough to see what's behind the door. And if there is nothing behind the door, okay, there was nothing. But you should not work this way with humans. And we are intelligent beings. We, we have a right to know. What about the freedom of information? What about the journalists who always ask questions? Why in this case, nobody questions and questions and questions? It's just quiet. Silence around the globe. And there is the door and the mystery. Well, nothing goes on. Is this science or what? Another mystery.